Hello and welcome to another episode of Chasing 48. I'm Zach Carley. This is a Ghost Runner Media production. Appreciate you joining me here for episode number 18. Yes, 18. Today is July 27th of 2021 and currently... On July 27th of 2021, your Cleveland Indians, Guardians, whatever you're calling them now, they're 49 and 48, second place in the AL Central, eight and a half games back of the White Sox, five games back of Oakland for that wild card spot. Again, appreciate you joining me here. A lot to get to on episode number 18, trade deadline coming in just four days. Did their last month of only seven wins put them in or out of contention? Uh, we'll get to that. Who's coming back from the injury list soon? And uh, we're going to break down the schedule a little bit. And I also have a very interesting, hate to see it as well, and uh, a story that you've been told for most likely your entire life. Well, I'm going to prove it just dead wrong. So stay tuned for that. But we're going to start with this last week that the Cleveland Indians slash Guardians played. They dropped 2 of 3 to Houston. Then they dropped 3 of 4 to Tampa. Uh, it wasn't good. Wasn't a good week. A lot of heartbreak. A lot of tough losses. Uh, you had Thursday's game where, I mean, it sucked. They go up 4-1 to one early, and then Karinczak blows it in the ninth, giving up two runs, and then Shaw gives up the winning run in the 10th. And then the next day, you get it tied 4-4. Four to four. Jose, big RBI triple in the 7th, ties it up at 4. You're hoping, you know, you can, you can win that game. Well, Wickering comes up, and he gets blown up. And all of a sudden, the Indians are, are looking at the scoreboard. Instead of 4-4, four to four, it's 10-4. to four at the end of the top of the ninth, and it's like, what the hell is going on? So, Wickering gets blown up. You lose Thursday. You lose Friday. Uh, you, you lost Saturday pretty decently, but you won Sunday. And, uh, yeah, they, against Houston, what, Monday, Tuesday, lost Wednesday. They got the win. So, that was your week there. And a lot of people, also the hitters, I wrote this down, they or the pitchers, they allowed the opposing team to hit 284 over the last week, which isn't good. 617 ERA. So hopefully they can clean that up. Uh, the, the the big thing I, I, I took away as far as fan reactions to this last week. People are thinking Karen Check and Class A are just blowing games left and right. And yes, granted, I know they have had some bad streaks. And I kind of also thought myself, hey, Karen Check and Class A aren't aren't, you know, doing what they're supposed to be doing and they're not doing what we're, we're expecting them to be doing. Well, I was wrong. Class A, yes, he had a bad, he had a bad outing, uh, his last outing in June and then his next couple, the first week of July or so, they weren't great. Ever since his first game after the All-Star break, he's been lights out. He hasn't allowed a hit, or he hasn't allowed a run. He's only allowed a couple hits. He hasn't walked many. He's been great. I'm not worried about Emmanuel Classe at all. James Karinczak looked at it. His last seven uh, outings, he's had he's given up four runs. Two of them came, of course, on Thursday, and then the rest of them are just one runs spread out. None of them, except one, led to a blown save, so that's good, and the rest of them were still either saves, holds, or he went on to win the game. So... When we look at bullpen, guys, when we look at back of the bullpen, you know, relief arms, they have a bad game, a bad two game. It's not the end of the world. 
They just don't have another inning to make you forget about it like the starters do. So if a reliever comes in, gives up a run, which is going to happen, no one has a, a zero ERA through 53 outings, uh, they're going to give up a run every now and then. It's not the end of the world. Got to tell myself that too, because sometimes I do think it's the end of the world, and I uh, I get very, very worried about that bullpen. Not just the Indians' bullpen, any bullpen, because they're so volatile. One year they can be outstanding, and the next year they... Uh, they're not showing up to, to to do anything. I mean, look how quickly Andrew Miller and Cody Allen just fell off the face of the earth. Look how fast that happened. Look how fast Chris Perez fell off the, the edge of the earth back in, what was that, 2014, 2015? Yeah, it was 2015 because Tito finally pulled him out of the closer's role and that was it for Perez. It's volatile. It's dangerous. And especially when you got two guys like Karinchek and Class A that throw upper 90s to 100, and the control isn't always there at times. You, you, you get worried about how sustainable it is. But okay, so this last week, like I said, they dropped five of their seven games that they had against Houston and Tampa. Uh, they didn't lose any ground in the division, which was weird. Still eight and a half games back. Chicago only five and five in their last ten, so they're struggling right along there. And then in the wild card, they didn't lose any ground as well. Oakland, Seattle, New York, Toronto all in front of them, but dropping five out of seven didn't hurt them in the standings necessarily as far as, as, far as falling further back in the standings. But I think I said this last week, it would have been really, really nice to at least split that series or or the, the entire seven games or take four out of the seven. You'd be two up. You'd, you'd be three out of the wild card, six and a half games back out of the division. I know we're not going at the division, but. You still got to play that game, and I still got to tell you what they're at. So after all of that, after all of that, and I would like your input on this as well. All these losses, they, they, they dropped them just to a game over 500, 49-48. Still five games back of the wild card, like I said. Are they in contention? Are they, or, or did this... Two and five week knocked them out of contention. That's what I'm trying to figure out here. Did they knock themselves out of contention? Even though nobody else gained any ground, did they knock themselves out of contention or at least knock themselves out of the out of the thought process of buying at the trade deadline in four days on Friday? So that's the question that I'm going to try to answer over the next 25 minutes or so. Did they knock themselves out of contention? Are they too far out? Five games out of the wild card. Even if you make the wild card, it's still a one-game playoff. Who knows what happens there? You give up a home run late and you're tied 2-2, two to two, and, and that's the season and you bought at the trade deadline for nothing. So you're five games back of the wild card. Eight and a half back of the division. You ain't catching the White Sox. Division ain't happening. We've, we've established that. So it's five games. Do you feel good? Five games out of the wild card, two months left to go in the season. So I took the liberty of helping us, helping you and I understand and and try to answer this question as to what the Indians should do now. Because I spent the whole month of July, wait and see, wait and see, wait and see. I think it's too it's it's premature to say if they should be buyers or sellers at the trade deadline. Wait and see, wait and see, wait and see. It's here. There's no more waiting and seeing. 
We have seen what we've seen. We've seen a lot of injuries, a team that has at some times shown that they can overcome it, but ultimately game over 500 at the trade deadline, 49 and 48. Are they out of contention? First thing you got to look at is the roster. We've gone over the roster a lot. Now I'll get you some injury stuff in a second. Second question you got to ask, what's the rest of their schedule look like? What did their schedule look like beforehand? Was it loaded with Boston and Chicago and Houston and New York and Oakland and, 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 and Tampa? Was it loaded like that? And what is August and September looking like as far as that as well? So I look at August, right? They're 49-48, game over 500. Going into August, you got three against Toronto. And then you have six games against Detroit within the month. You have a one-gamer against Cincy, three against Oakland, three against Minnesota, three against L.A., three against Texas, three against Boston. That is how your August goes for the Indians. In September, a lot more condensed. You, you play the same, same teams more times than you did in August. So Kansas City, you play them ten times. That is huge. Boston, you play three more times. Minnesota, you got seven. And Barrios probably ain't going to be there. Josh Donaldson ain't going to be there. Byron Buxton might not be there. I'll get to that in the AL Central roundup. And then you close out the month, three against Milwaukee, three against the Yankees, and then five, that five-gamer, remember, against Chicago before you play Kansas City one more time to close out the season. So after all of that, those are the teams. Looked at it. The combined record really went against the narrative that I wanted to push. (laughs) I was going to push that August and September was super easy and the Indians had a chance to, to, you know, make a run back in the standings and get themselves back in that wild card chase. And I, I, I really thought they played a bunch of losing teams. Overall record of the remaining teams that they play this year. 553 wins to 543 losses. (laughs) Between the 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 teams that they play for the remainder of the year. They only have 10 more wins than losses. So 500. They got a bunch of 500 ball coming up. Uh, 29 of those games are against losing teams. That makes up nine series. 26 games are against winning teams. That is in six series. Um, And then there's 10 games, so it kind of does include some winning teams that are just floating around 500. Uh, The Angels, I added in that. They're 50 and 49. Toronto, 49 and 47. Um, And the Yankees, 51 and 47. And then Cincy, they're right there as well. So they have 29 games against losing teams, 26 games against winning teams, and 10 games against 500-ish teams. Okay, so let's just say, let's just say they win all 29 games against the losing teams, they lose all 26 games against the winning teams, and then they go 6-4 and in those 10 games against the Yankees, Blue Jays, Angels, and Reds. Well, that would be 35 and 30 the rest of the way, and that would give them a record of 84 and 78. 84 and 78 ain't gonna do it. Now, 
Here's where this can get tricky in the minds of the front office if you really want to play this game and say the Indians have a, have a, still a good shot because they haven't been healthy most of the year, and if they get healthy, they can be ready to roll. Bieber and Savali should be back for those for 14 of those 26 games against winning teams. Okay, so basically in September. So you're going to have Bieber and Savali for 10 games against Kansas City. You're going to have Bieber and Savali for seven games against Minnesota. And then you got them for Boston, Milwaukee, the Yankees, which you need them. You need them especially for Milwaukee and New York because you got to match up with Milwaukee for Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff, even Freddie Peralta. And you also got to match up with the Yankees when they throw out Garrett Cole. And you're going to want to make sure that Bieber's there because remember in, or in April when it was Bieber and Cole, it was awesome. The Indians couldn't hit Cole. They could barely hit Bieber. You need Bieber or else that's just a, a straight L. And then Boston, their pitching always blows my mind. I don't think it's any good. But then you got five against Chicago, that five-game series with that doubleheader starting it off the second last week of September. You're going to need Bieber and Savali. And you could maybe pitch one of those twice now that's a stupid idea never mind but anyways so 35 and 30 that's saying they're gonna beat all the losing teams all 29 games they're gonna sweep every time they play a team with a losing record and then they're gonna get swept in all 26 games against teams with winning records that leaves 10 games if they go six and four that leaves them at 35 and 30 the rest of the way that puts them at 84 wins that ain't good enough and obviously, you're not going to get swept and sweep every single series against a winner and a losing team. You're going to throw a couple. It's like when I play the NFL schedule game. You get a win and a loss against Pittsburgh, Baltimore, and Cincy because you play them twice. That's it. Figure out the rest. It's the same thing here. You're not going to win them all against the losing teams, and you're not going to lose them all against the winning teams. There's going to be some. But for average purposes and easy math numbers, we can just play this game. They win all the games they're supposed to. 35 wins the rest of the way. That puts them at 84 wins on the year. And that's winning six against Yankees, Toronto, LA, and Cincinnati. So you got to find, I'd say, six wins out of there to have a shot at the wild card. Because I'm looking at this wild card race. Tampa ain't going away. Oakland's adding at the deadline. Seattle's adding at the deadline. The Yankees, I don't care how much disarray they're in. They ain't going away. And then Toronto, I think that offense keeps them in there the whole time as well. You have the Angels right behind you as well. And they just got a couple, uh, they just brought up some pitchers that they're trying out. And they haven't been too bad. They have this dude, Suarez. He didn't do too well in his last start, but his last two, three starts, he was pretty good. Uh, Jose Suarez is his name. Angels tied with the Indians, five back of the wild card. So that's who you're fighting there. Angels, Toronto, New York, Seattle, Oakland, Tampa. Look, you just lost to Tampa, but you do play Oakland. You do play the Yankees. You do play Toronto, and you could, you do play L.A. If they're going to make a run, these are the teams they got to beat. They got to take care of Minnesota when they're depleted and all their players are gone. They got to take care of Kansas City, who's going to be depleted and trying out young guys all the time. And they have to... Do something when they have games against Oakland, Toronto, and L.A. Do they do it? I don't know. I don't know if they do it. And real quick, um, 
to help you if you want to think about this. I said Bieber's coming back. Uh, earliest he can be back is August 15th. That's why I looked at only September. For Savali, earliest he can be back is August 23rd. Both of those guys got put on the 60-day IL uh, yesterday or two days ago for putting guys on and off the 40-man, and, and they claimed a guy from, from Arizona who's not that good, Alex Young. Don't have to worry about it. Um, Jordan Luplo is also rehabbing in Columbus. That'll matter later. Uh, so he should be up back to the bigs very soon. And then according to Tom Withers of AP, uh, Eddie Rosario should start swinging the bat this week. Hopefully that makes him healthy before the deadline. So that's really what it all is, the deadline, right? We're trying to figure out. Do the Indians buy? Do they sell? Do they do a little bit of both? But ultimately, are they trying to go for it? I say no. I'm sorry. I've trying to halt. I, I've, I've been trying to hold out. I've been trying to hold out. I've been trying to hold out hope that play, a playoff berth is in this team's future. And I just don't see it. Not with that schedule coming up. And more with what we've seen from this team. I just don't think they're a playoff team. I think it's a miracle. Let's get this straight. I think it's a miracle that we're even talking about it right now after all the injuries and everything that's gone on and and the disappointing seasons between Logan Allen and the up and down between Tristan McKenzie and 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 you tried out um you had Jimenez opening the season and and Ben Gamble in center and you had Jake Bowers at first and through all this stuff your game over 500 five games back in the wild card i think it's a miracle that they're there but looking at it now i've played the waiting game i've said wait 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 it's here, calling it. I don't think it's impossible because I don't think the moves they're going to make at the deadline are are necessarily season enders, you know, if they do trade these people. But I don't think you should give up capital excessively to get somebody you need. Now, if you can make a deal that just helps you, period, for the future or otherwise, then yeah, go ahead and do it. But I, I I think the 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 days of of thinking that oh well if they just have a you know if they can just trade for a center fielder or they can do this this or that they can make a run um, if if you're thinking of just uh, just about a guy for this year I, I I don't think that's happening okay so after all that after going through the schedule going through the injuries going through what we've seen all year I'm not buying I'm doing a little bit of selling now. I'm doing a little bit of selling. Just a little bit. Not like not like some people out there. I almost called them a bad word. Not like some people out there that keep throwing around the idea that the Indians would be better off for trading Jose Ramirez. They would be better off? Better? Really? Jose Ramirez? The same guy? Whew. Have a hard time convincing me of that. First of all, there's no team out there that is willing to part with the amount of prospects slash big league players that you would have to give up for two and a half years of Jose Ramirez on one of the most team-friendly deals in baseball history. The guy makes like $8 million this year, and he's finished top five in MVP voting, I'm pretty sure, three of the last four years. And you want to trade that guy. So you there's not even... there. There's not a trade package that someone could draw up and send the Indians that would be acceptable to, to, to make that trade. 
So that's reason number one, which should be the only reason, but it's not. Uh, the second reason, I think he gets an extension this offseason. I, 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 I really, really do. So look, 30-year-olds don't get 10-year contracts unless you're Albert Pujols. Jose Ramirez is really good. He's not Albert Pujols, especially St. Louis Albert Pujols, who had an OPS of 1,000 every year. He ain't getting the big deal. They're going to pay him, and I hope they do. He has earned it. He deserves it. But they're not going to pay him this big 10-year contract, 7-year contract. It's going to be a 3-, 4-, 5-year contract, Pretty decent money if they do re-sign him, which I expect them to do because Paul Dolan in an interview with uh, Zach Meisel, the Athletic, he said they are going to spend more money this coming offseason. So I think they sign him. Four or five-year deal. Give him the Salvi Perez treatment that the Royals did. He was terribly underpaid while he was overperforming, so now you make up for that and give him some money. I think he, I think Jose would be worth it. I think he would earn the contract, and I think it would be good. So that's another reason I don't think they're trading him. And number three, it just would make sense. I just don't... It wouldn't make sense on any level, on the field or off the field. All right, so first of all, on the field, you're looking to compete next year. This is not a, a, a blow-up, rebuild project here. You have last year's Cy Young winner. Aaron Savali's pretty good. Zach Plesak's pretty good. All right, so you got three pitchers right there. Yes, I know. We got to figure out the back two. That's what we're trying to do this year. On In the lineup, Harold Ramirez. What a welcome surprise he has been this year. Named him the first half MVP of the team. He'll most certainly be back next year. Ahmed Rosario, I, I like what I see from him sometimes. Fran Mill Reyes, I, obviously he's a stud in my opinion. Uh, second base, you're going to have to figure out. you got some pieces to figure out. But overall, this is a team that's looking to compete next year. They want to compete next year, especially with Shane Bieber on this team and still under his, his, his rookie contract. So it wouldn't work. It wouldn't make sense on the field. Off the field, fans would lose their shit. Fans would go absolutely berserk if they traded Jose Ramirez. You just changed the name of the team, and people are flipping their shit over that. Imagine, after just trading Francisco Lindor a year ago, they turn around and trade Jose Ramirez, not even a year year later, six months later. That's not even a... After you think of it that way... That's not that, that that thought gets thrown out. There is no way in hell that you move Jose Ramirez for the list of reasons I just gave you. This team needs a, a face besides Tito that they can look at and go, yep, that's my that's my Cleveland Indians or next year. Yep, that's my Cleveland Guardians. They need a face. It's a revolving door all the time. And I'd like a player to look at for for more than five years every once in a while, not just a manager. Having a manager as as the face of a team is cool. That's fine. I'd rather be a a, a guy that hits 30 bombs a year. That 30 bomb a year guy is Jose Ramirez. So I don't think he's going anywhere. As far as the rest of the team, I will be upset if Roberto Perez gets traded. I know it's a possibility. um, But I will be upset. 
I think I think that's his locker room. I think that's his clubhouse. I think he's the leader of that team. Um, and and look, frankly, yeah, he can't hit. We all know he can't hit. Most catchers in the league can't hit. Most catchers in the league hit like 220. But you know what Roberto Perez does? He catches. And he catches better than almost anybody else in the league. He's elite blocking. He's elite framing. He has a quick pop-up time, and that throw is always on the money down to second. He knows how to control a staff. He knows how to call a game. He's a veteran. He's been around. He's been in big moments. He's delivered in big moments. I don't care that he's hitting a buck 70 or whatever he is. If he leaves, I will be upset. (laughs) I won't not understand it, but I'll be upset. Now, I'll be surprised if Cesar Hernandez is not dealt in the next four days. So in the next 96 hours, is that how that works? I think that's how that works. In the next 96 hours, if he's not dealt, I will be very, very surprised. There's a couple teams out there that need a second baseman. Uh, Seattle would be a great fit. They just lost out on Adam Frazier in the deal with the Pirates. He went to the Padres, so that would be perfect. Seattle looking for a second baseman to replace Shed Long. And then Boston, they need a second baseman too. I was looking at Kiki Hernandez. He's been okay, but he's been playing center field. They don't have a center fielder really. They let go of Jackie Bradley Jr. in the offseason. He went to Milwaukee, and he's been pretty good for Milwaukee, and Boston's been left without a center fielder. So they threw Kiki to center, and now second base is empty and it's been kind of a a, a mixed bag there at what you're going to get. I think Boston could use Cesar. He's had a power surge these last, what, two months. He's been hitting the, I mean, career high in home runs, 17 home runs so far this year, and we're not not even into August. When guys hit career highs in in the middle of June, end of June, or July, you got to think if he has 17 home runs through four months, you're probably going to get to 25, maybe even 30. By the end of the year there, and 30 home runs on a second baseman doesn't look too damn bad. He also has that option year next year, and it's a team option. So if if they want Cesar Hernandez at $8 million next year, or $6 million next year, they can have him for $6 million. And that's a steal, especially if he's going to hit 20 home runs, which he is more than likely going to do because there's two months left, and he only needs three to get there. So I'll be surprised if Cesar Hernandez is not dealt Uh, I could see Brian Shaw getting traded as well, especially if the Indians just say, hey, it ain't our year, too much bad shit went on, and whatever, we're going to reload for next year. Shaw, his his contract's ending at the end of the year, and you know what? If you do want him next year, you can always sign him back in free agency because, you know, he's going to have to go to free agency. Eddie Rosario, if he gets healthy, I mentioned it earlier. Um, Tom Withers said he was was swinging the bat this week, so if uh, if he can get healthy... It'd be nice. It'd be nice to deal Eddie, maybe get a prospect or two, because, man, I'll tell you what, you they, they, the Indians are going to make some deals in the next four days. They have to. It's almost certain. Now, I said I'd be shocked if Cesar doesn't go. That's the only major league trade that they have to make, in my opinion. Now, they have a bunch of minor league trades, that they desperately need to make because they got to figure out. So they have a roster crunch going on right now. Okay, so so they got nine guys that are going to be Rule 5 draft eligible. So another team will be able to draft them in the offseason this year if they're not placed on the 40-man roster. It 
allows players to not just rot and rot in, you know, minor league systems, never get called up to the bigs and never have any freedom to go anywhere else. So rule five draft is coming. The Indians have nine guys that you could say you could expect or maybe anticipate them getting taken in the rule five draft if you don't protect them by putting them on the 40-man roster. But the problem for the Indians, because you're like, yeah, that's fine. Just throw them on the 40-man. There's no room. There's no room on the 40-man roster. They've, they've, they've gotten all of this talent through trades over the last two years. All of these prospects, some guys with major league talent, which means they're on the 40-man roster, and some guys that aren't, but their time in the minors is running out. So you got nine guys. There's 40 guys on the roster right now. If you trade Rosario like you should, Hernandez like you should, and Shaw like you should, that's only three roster spots that's getting free out of that 40. And you gotta anticipate that they're gonna sign a guy or two next year to the major league roster. So they have to deal some of these minor leaguers if they don't want to risk just losing them outright. So here's the nine guys I'm talking about here. George Valeri is an outfielder. Uh, Joey Cantillo, left-handed pitcher. Cody Morris, he's a pitcher. Richard Palacios, utility guy, second baseman, outfielder. Jose Fermin, infielder. Robert Broom, pitcher. Adam Scott, pitcher. Stephen Kwan, outfielder. And then there's Tyler Freeman, the shortstop. Uh, Baseball America has him as the 82nd best prospect in baseball. He's raking in Akron right now. You're going to want to put that guy in the 40-man next year. You'll probably see that guy on the 40-man next year. So out of the remaining eight, if you want room, if you want to leave three spots after Rosario Shaw and Hernandez get traded in in this little world, after they get traded, if you want to leave those three spots for next offseason so you don't have to do another crunch in the winter, you you would theoretically have to trade or try to get rid of or just, you know, pray and hope they don't get taken in the 40-man or in in, in the Rule 5, eight guys. So what I'm thinking and what a lot of people are thinking here is that they can package, you know, two two of the hitters, two of the pitchers, and maybe get a guy that can help your team right now. Not not an all-star kind of guy, but a really, you know, a, a good player that can help you right now. I mean, hell, if we traded four of these guys that can't crack a, a big league roster for someone with the makeup of, let's say, Harold Ramirez, who got DFA'd by the Marlins and, and the Indians picked him up off waivers. If you want to trade for a guy like that with some potential and he's just not working somewhere else... I don't know. You got to make some moves. So expect them. Look, I don't know what they're going to get for these minor leaguers. I don't know how much they're valued throughout the throughout the league or even the organization. But they got to move these guys, and these guys are the ones that I found that that are that are clogging up and are at risk of being taken in the Rule Five draft if they are not protected on the Rule f- f- um, on the forty man. All right. So that's that. That is your trade deadline. Uh, Little, I don't even know what to call it. Little, it, it's not a recap. It's something else. And I can't think of the name right now. But anyways, that's, uh, yeah. So that's what you can expect on Friday or uh, leading up to Friday. The Indians got to make some minor league deals. And uh, I expect Cesar to be gone. I don't want Perez to be gone. And I could definitely see Rosario and Shaw getting dealt as well. All right, well. Time for, love to see it, 
and hate to see it. So what I love to see this week, Eli Morgan and Kale Quantrill impressing me. Tristan McKenzie was dealing on Sunday as well. You can't deny it. Tristan on Sunday. Man, if he can pitch like that, and I know this is the second of three starts that I've said if he can pitch like that. But if he can pitch like that, six innings, five hits, two runs, one walk, six Ks. The one walk is the beautiful part of it all. And the two runs. If he can do that, Maybe you're only looking for one starter next year if you're if you're really trying to compete. Um, Cal Quantrill, Thursday, really nice against Tampa. Six innings, four hits, one run, three walks. So I didn't like that and only two Ks. But hey, only gave up one run. I will take that. And then Eli Morgan, he was delivering a little bit against Houston nonetheless on Wednesday. Yes, Eli on Wednesday. Goes five innings. Like to see it from him. Three hits, three runs, no walks, five Ks. That is progress. Quantrill and Morgan going five plus. I know Plesak got banged around a little bit, but Tristan McKenzie did not. I love, love, love to see it. Yes, there's been a lot of bad out of this bullpen and this starting rotation over the last two months. This last week between Eli Morgan, Kale Quantrill, and Tristan McKenzie was not the bad. It was very, very good and very promising for three guys under the age of 25. What else I love to see this week? It was awesome. You're going to have to find a picture. Jose Ramirez, he was rocking a major league chain. No, not just a big chain. Like the movie Major League. You know, the logo with the ball, right? And the mohawk. They kind of redid it a couple years ago for Jose. Well, he got it done in a 14-karat gold necklace. And it's the most baller damn thing I've ever seen in my life. So go look that up because I love to see it. Okay, now what I hate to see. Now what I hate to see, changing up the tone a little bit, all right? Obviously, I didn't uh, address it in this one. The name change. I did the emergency podcast when they did it on Friday. All right, so this past weekend, reading a lot of reactions to the name change, a lot of people obviously are against it, don't like it for numerous reasons. One of the reasons people say it's a bad idea to get rid of the name the Indians, and it's disrespectful. They're using Louis Sock Alexis as an example on why the Indian and Chief Wahoo should have never left. They say they should. they named the team after him. They're honoring him. It's a lie. And we're not honoring him. And we're not respecting him. I mean, the story on how this all started is that a, a newspaper ran a, ran a contest for the new name because they were the Cleveland Naps, but then they sold Naf LaJoy, so now they needed a new name. And so the story goes that the plane dealer held, or not a, not the plane dealer, a newspaper held the contest and a kid remembered that this guy played about a hundred games for the Indians f- 15 years ago and said, Hey, we should name it after him. He was the first native American. And so that's how they got the name. The Indians it's wrong. That is wrong. That did not happen. The, the newspaper didn't even run a contest for the name. They didn't ask anybody but four baseball writers' opinions on what the name should be. 
So they didn't name it after him. And it wasn't in his honor. Because if it was in his honor, then he wouldn't have got mocked and demeaned and yelled at. And people in, in, in the bleachers and, and in the stands dancing around and making fun of him every time he stepped on the field. And every newspaper headline about him wouldn't have some, you know, racist undertone using using terms and, and, and phrases that are demeaning, calling him calling him a redskin and and a, and, a, and a dirty poor Indian and he did have a drinking problem and people said well if he wasn't an Indian that wouldn't be a problem but he can't get away from the hot water they mocked him he demeaned him this team was not named after him so like I said the writers got to pick the name and this is according to sports writer Joe Poznanski He wrote it in a 2014 column. Okay, I read it. It's very good. You can go find it. So writers got to pick the name, the local writers. Very next day, why do you think they named it? Because there's a bunch of easy headlines back in 1915 that can be racist and in 1915 humor very funny against Native Americans. Cartoons. We're terrible. There's a terrible cartoon put in the plane dealer the next day. Mocking the name and Louis Sack Alexis. So it was not named to honor him. Poznanski said in the, in, in the column that it is actually believed that it stemmed from the fact that the Boston Braves came back from fourth place to win the whole thing the year before on so that Indian names and Native American names were hot. They were popular. So they thought that might have had a thing to do with it. So they didn't name it after him. What I read, now what I read, people did love the guy. He was great. They said he was a five-tool player. But he did have problems. He was troubled. As I said, he was an alcoholic. He underperformed because of it. He showed up to games drunk sometimes. He was highly talented. But he was also highly disappointing because his his career came to a crash because he couldn't stop drinking. And so people want to think it's this cartoon or not this cartoon, but this this fantasy world of, oh yes, this 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 Native American, he was the first one ever into the league and never had any problems and he was honored immediately by the Cleveland baseball team and everything was roses and sh- sunshine and it was fantastic and it was not. Naming the team after him was not even a thought. Poznanski said in his article he looked at over 300 newspapers from the year 1915. Not one of them even mentioned the name Sock Alexis. Not one. Because he had long retired by then, so why would they mention it unless they named a team after him, which they did not? So if you want to argue that they they should have kept the name, I'm going to disagree with you. But just remember, if you're losing, if you're using the Louis Sock Alexis excuse, you're wrong. You sound like an ass, and you're not uneducated. Because here we are. I'm telling you, you're just ignorant. All right, so you're wrong on that. All right, let's pick it back up. Cue the music. Time for the AL Central Roundup here. White Sox pulling away 57-37 in first place. 5-5 five five in their last 10. Cleveland 49-48. Eight and a half games back of first. 4-6 and six 
In their last 10, Detroit might be the hottest team in baseball. 47 and 55, 13 games back of first. Six and four in their last 10. Kansas City, 43 and 45, 15 games back. Seven and three in their last 10. And Minnesota, 43 and 58, 16 and a half games back. Four and six in their last 10. We will start with the White Sox. I said last week, wouldn't be surprised if they trade for Chris Bryant. Uh, haven't heard anything on them making any moves at the deadline. So we'll wait and see what they do, but they are getting help in the form of the injured list. Eloy Jimenez, he is back on the field and he is Eloy Luis Robert. He's currently in rehab assignment, so he'll be back up sooner rather than later, which makes that a crazy stacked, loaded lineup. Tim Anderson, Jose Abreu, Luis Robert, Eloy Jimenez, Ismani Grandal, tough not to mention Lance Lynn's got a a two a, a, a sub 2-2 two, two ERA and and Rodon's dealing and Giolito's Giolito that that's dangerous team to the Tigers came out of the all-star break hot as hell won seven in a row after the all-star break after their horrid April they have now had three straight winning months and they only sit four and a half games back of the Indians for second place in the division so Watch out for them. I know I keep saying next year's going to be their year, and it's looking more and more like it's going to, but uh, they might be able to do something in August and September, and I'm not saying playoffs, but make themselves feel pretty good about going into 2022. Kansas City. There's some news on them. Obviously, they're selling Seattle, going hard after Whit Merrifield after losing out on Adam Frazier. I said Seattle would be a good place for Cesar if they miss out on Whit Merrifield, and Cesar would be a lot cheaper. Uh, Dodgers, Padres, Giants, all looking at Danny Duffy as well. And Minnesota, I said they were going to blow it up. They're doing it. Uh, already traded Nelson Cruz this week to Tampa Bay. Uh, Byron Buxton, he turned down a contract extension offer from Minnesota. He's got one more year on his deal left, so they are now going to look to trade him. Uh, the Phillies are in on him, a couple others as well. John Morosi. He reported yesterday that Barrios is being looked at by the Padres, Dodgers, Yankees, Red Sox, Astros, and Phillies. And that's the second pitcher I've already said in this division that the Dodgers are looking at. I saw a report that however this Trevor Bauer thing ends, most of that team, most of that locker room, most of the clubhouse, most of the front office doesn't want him back. They want his days in Dodger blue to be done. I don't, I don't blame him at all. Uh, Brewers looking at Josh Donaldson from Minnesota and Pineda, Michael Pineda, starting pitcher, being looked at by a bunch of teams as well. All right, so that's your AL Central roundup there. Coming up in this last four days of July, you got two against St. Louis after the off day yesterday. Cal Quantrill versus Adam Wainwright tonight. I don't expect much here. Here's what you're going to do tonight. Roofer, I mean, Quantrell can pitch well. I just don't expect anything out of the offense hitting Adam Wainwright. He's, I mean, he's very good. So here's what I want you to do. Since we don't get to see the Cardinals that much as, as American League fans, right? Appreciate watching Nolan Arenado. Watch Paul Goldschmidt. Watch Yachty Molina. Watch Adam Wainwright. Watch those four guys do their things. And uh, wait until tomorrow, because you could actually see a win tomorrow. Zach Plesak pitches. Adam Wainwright doesn't for the Cardinals. Uh, Plesak needs to bounce back 
from his last outing, but he's still the best pitcher that you have going right now. Uh, and then you got an off day on Thursday, three against the White Sox to wrap up the month, and then you got four against Toronto to start August. So that is where the Indians stand. On July 27th of 2021, second place, game over 500, five games back of the wild card. They buy in, they sell it. I say sell, but they could always do that thing where they buy and sell. But I think Cesar is gone. Jose's safe. And you know what? If you use the Louis Sakalexis excuse for why you wanted the Indians to stay the Indians, you're dead wrong. You're being a little ignorant. Just a little bit. Appreciate you joining me here for episode number 18 of Chasing 48. I really do, as always. And if you missed my emergency podcast on Friday, go check it out. Not long. I think it was only 17 minutes or something. I had some fun with it. And uh, if you're looking for something, I uh, if, if you missed, what, the All-Star show, the last half of it, I did an Indians all-time All-Star roster. I had a lot of fun doing it. And I think it's a lot of fun. It's also on the Ghost Runner Media Instagram. It's on IGTV as well. So go check that out. And as always, please subscribe, rate, comment, do what you got to do. Share and retweet on uh, on Facebook and Twitter. I would really, really appreciate that. Uh, and yeah, give Ghost Runner Media a follow on Instagram as well. All right. Appreciate you joining me here. Episode number 18. I'm Zach Carley. As always, be a good person. Be a great person. Do something nice for someone. I'll talk to you next week. We'll try it.